Sanchiro's boys, his proud disciples, returning to the Holy Land again. This is your co-host, Tim Amatuli. And I'm Chris Cote. And today we're covering Rocky IV. I mean, <laughs> Sanchiro Sugata Part 2. Yeah, Sanchiro Sugata Part 2. Um, <laughs> quite, the, <laughs> quite the film. I'm not gonna lie, this one was uh, completely bonkers. I was not expecting this at any point during the Kurosawa podcast. I was not prepared for this kind of movie. This movie is like a fever dream from start to finish. Sanchiro Sugata Part 2 is considered Kurosawa's weakest movie by a lot of people. Including me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was released in 1945, and this is, like the most beautiful, state-sanctioned propaganda that Kurosawa had absolutely no interest in making. But unlike the most beautiful, it does not seem like very effective propaganda, because I have no idea what the message was. The message of the most beautiful is overwhelmingly obvious. It's like a propaganda movie kind of only in the first half, and then it actually becomes a sort of sequel. I guess just about, like, Japanese culture. Yeah, it's the propaganda of uh, Japan being better than America, but that's, like, it. And even that's vague. That makes sense. This movie was released only three months before Japan surrendered in World War II, so the propaganda isn't really reaching out to much of an audience. Also, there were, like, no movie theaters left in the country because they were all destroyed. Yeah, well, luckily for Kurosawa's reputation, I guess, because this was not a great film. Yeah, exactly. This isn't the one that he wants to be known for. The last paragraph about this book in his autobiography, he says... Quote, Sanchiro Sugata Part 2 is not a very good film, period. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he knows. Yeah, it's it's very nice to see that he, uh, he has an ego, definitely, but he doesn't have an ego about this one. He is right that Sanchiro Sugata Part 2 is not a very good film, but it is a very fun film in a lot of weird ways. I know, yeah, I enjoy it, but it's not that good. <laughs> it was fun. Uh, so the, we're, the plot summary is, I'm just going to read it. It's probably not going to make any sense because it doesn't. In the plot. <laughs> so, Sanchiro Sugata Part 2 takes place a few years after the events of the first Sanchiro Sugata movie. Sanchiro has just returned from two years of journeying to find an American presence in town, including a boxing ring. Sanchiro is disgusted by the Americans and their boxing as a form of entertainment. It is revealed that he has not seen Seo since the death of her father, which Sanchiro blames himself for. He returns to his judo school, where Tishin and Genzaburo, the brothers of Genosuke Higaki, the main villain from the first film, challenge Sugata to a duel for revenge. He refuses, and the brothers begin terrorizing the judo students with their karate. After much personal struggle, and after breaking all of his dojo's rules, Sinshiro accepts the duel with the Higaki brothers. Sugata fights and bests Tishin on a snowy mountainside, and afterwards cooks for the brothers in their hut. And that's how the movie ends. <laughs> Which, I sound confused because I am. Because the ending's very weird. We spent a long time trying to figure out how to write the ending of this plot summary, because I truthfully don't know how to really put it into words. We'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, in watching it, it comes across just as weird. The whole movie's whack. <laughs> Such a weird vibe throughout the entire film, in a way that I just, I don't know, I never would have expected. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, no Takeshi Shimura in this movie. We haven't caught him. It's a shame he would have elevated the film. He was in the last two, but didn't make it this time. Yeah, no, he uh, dies off screen, and it becomes kind of a plot point, but not really, like anything in this movie. Yeah, so his specter is still there, but he's not here, unfortunately, in in flesh. But was Kurosawa even, so... Debatable. The fact that Kurosawa says he really had zero interest in making this movie, and really only made it because he had to, it's pretty evident, because there, there just isn't as much going on in this one. But I, I don't think it's totally devoid of interest. I do think that he still does things with the material 
reading the Donald Ritchie book, he says this actually feels like if a worse filmmaker had made the original movie, because Kurosawa's style is generally really downplayed. In general, Kurosawa, it seems like he takes a lot of care with his films. And it's just, like, not evident in this movie. A lot of it just feels very careless and, like, yeah. in a very strange way. There was one part where a guy says a line and then it Twice. cuts and it says the line again and it's, like, the same <laughs> shot. I was like, what the hell happened? What did I do that? It's so, I guess it's, like, wartime editors were just like, uh, who gives a shit and let it happen. It's insane that it hasn't been fixed or anything. They didn't care about it either. Yeah, no, it, that, like, that kind of sloppiness kind of pervades there's nothing like in the first movie with the scene where he stays in a swamp and holds himself there you like see the flower from the first movie but it's just kind of like a joke a lot of this is kind of like a joke again in the donald ritchie book he actually describes a lot of this as parody yes the film opens with a redo of the way that yano was introduced at the canal but this time with sanshiro which i thought was actually really cool because it's like you know, the student has become the master kind of thing. We're seeing it. It is a nice touch. But it's like not even a fight. He just flips the dude over. It's the only similarity. It's, it's not anything that's really badass. Yeah, it is kind of like a joke. It's kind of like the opening to The Last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not, not getting out to that in this podcast. Yeah, that's fine. I appreciated the way the opening was like, it had a lot of parallels to the original film. And at first you're like, oh, that's a very touching way to pay homage to his story. But then the parallels keep happening and they get like weird. And that will tie into my theory about this film that I'll get to a little bit later. I definitely feel like this movie is part two and not just Sanshiro Sugata 2 because it is such a direct continuation of it. It does feel like these could be one whole movie. I see what you mean. But you would be very jarred in the second half. It just doesn't rise to the level of a sequel. It just feels like more film added on to the previous movie. They also do lots of other references to the first film. Senshiro uses a rickshaw to move people around several times during the film. Which was his job before he became the top judo student. Which, yeah, again, I, I like that kind of stuff. I feel like that's when Akira Kurosawa really injects some character and character development. Overall, I'm very impressed that for a movie this old, and as a sequel, this is one of only two Kurosawa sequels in all of his movies, it really ties directly to it. The cast is the exact same. They make direct reference to the things that happened in the last movie without really re-explaining it all and covering it in extreme detail. I'm a little skeptical here on this point. I think it's handled more sensitively than maybe some Hollywood films are. I think in general, if you know me, you know that I think sequels are all bad. And I hate any movie that has a sequel and I hate reboots and I hate any attempt to... <laughs> this film has not disproven that theory. I agree that it's nice that they reference that he was a rickshaw driver in the first film but i don't like that the one character goes hey this is like in the last movie when he piloted a rickshaw i was like that's like a little too much like why are they going into this like why are they going so ham on this idea of it being a, a sequel going ham sounds very sanshiro sugata yes sanshiro sugata the ham-faced beautiful boy complete hembo i do like my favorite thing about the film in fact the only thing that i want to talk about is the fact that in this movie they tripled down on him being just like the biggest himbo of all time in the first film you have to gather that yourself through, like, the filmmaking. You just can tell that he's, like, kind of this happy, gullible, clueless guy. Yeah, it was in the inner titles. Yeah, in this movie, it's just, man, Senshiro sure is dumb and nice and gullible. <laughs> that was, like, every character talking about Senshiro the whole movie. And I was like, oh, my God, they admit it. He's a himbo. 
Yeah, the, the truth has come out. Yeah, that's like what the movie was about, was about him struggling with being a himbo in a world full of cynical people. You you say that, but I struggle to figure out what this movie was truly about, because that is a, kind of my main complaint, is the last movie really did have a lot of spiritual evolution for Sanshiro, where he was this unmolded character who was a brawny brute who really became educated and disciplined student. In this one, he has these ethical dilemmas about fighting and about his responsibilities and stuff. But I don't really understand a lot of his motivation throughout the movie. Like, I paid oh, yeah. very close attention. I took notes the whole time, and I was like, I don't understand why he's doing some of the things that he's doing. Yeah, all the character motivations, except the brothers who want revenge, are completely mystifying. I kind of get why he's avoiding Sayo, because he feels guilty, but that doesn't really make any sense. I don't get why he feels the need to fight them, or break the rules, or drink, or, like, do any of the things that he's doing. He's so torn up about self-imposed problems. Just don't do it. <laughs> like, That's the main thing about him breaking the dojo's rules. I don't really know why he's doing it. And even when he does it, they're like, no, dude, you're our best student. We don't care. I actually, I kind of like that part. Y you haven't, you've broken the written rules, but you haven't broken the unwritten rules, which I liked that. But I was like, I still don't know why he broke the written rules in the first place. I guess he's just that much of a dumb himbo where he's like, <laughs> this is what I have to do is break the written rules. And yeah, you're right. The priest is just like... Well, those rules don't really matter. We still know that you're a good student of the judo practice. And he's like, well, fine. <laughs> well, like, if you put but... it that way, I'm still going to break the third rule and yeah. go fight these guys. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was all very, very strange. And the priest character, who's the one who says that line about the rules don't really matter, the impression I got of him in this film is that he was almost been like flanderized, which is kind of described <laughs> on The Simpsons, like characters becoming a stereotype of themselves, caricature of their own qualities. Where in the first movie, he's like kind of an eccentric old man priest, which is fine. But in this movie, he's nuts, making weird faces and yelling. Caricature of his own character in the first movie. He gets flanderized. Yeah, and the same thing can be said about the American audience. <laughs> They're all just these bloodthirsty people watching boxing, which is the obvious propaganda element of this movie. I love that. They are all, it's like a parody. Yeah, it's completely one-dimensional. There's no nuance to them, which as wartime cinema, that makes sense. That's Yeah, that's not very Kurosawa. Like, it's weird. It's still, exactly, we, we come to expect this kind of depth from even minor characters. He has a really good way of writing these people, and speaking of which, I, I'm very disappointed that Sayo is such a small part of oh, this yeah. movie. Just, like, completely sided. Like, Sentiro uh, is ghosting her <laughs> in the beginning of the film? <laughs> he is ghosting her, yeah, he goes, the, they run into each other at that yeah, temple. Yeah, and it's like an awkward confrontation. <laughs> I'm like, uh, but that's... He's like, oh, I'm back. Uh, uh yeah, I see Yeah, you've that. been avoiding me since my dad died, and he's like, yeah, I blame myself. It's not his fault, though. <laughs> like, it's so, it's so weird. <laughs> yeah, but that is, like, the definition of ghosting. The uh, American propaganda was completely nuts. The opening is just a sailor who just wants to box people and bully people around and just kick poor people, which is, like, this impression of Americans. <laughs> yes. Which I thought was, I mean, I like that because I'm also anti-American, but it was... <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah, it's actually, I've, I actually, as an American, would say it's a pretty accurate portrayal yeah. of Americans, but their main focus is American culture is savage and... It's like decadent. Uncivilized and Japanese martial arts is very beautiful and, and that's supposed to apply to the entire culture as a whole and Japanese superiority over the West. Yeah, that, that makes sense as the propaganda message. I think I, I think I was thinking of it in terms of like Western opulence. He's not only disgusted by the box's entertainment, but there's this crazy scene where he's at the box match and it keeps cutting to home looking bewildered and then cutting to close-ups of americans smoking and laughing and being vulgar i actually i really like that because it was good filmmaking to show what he was feeling but it was it was a pretty wild indictment of americans they were just these bloodthirsty awful <laughs> regions some of them also i think in that scene are asian it's a little unclear but it's mostly white people 
There are also Japanese people that are in attendance. The American boxer was fighting a jujitsu fighter, so there were jujitsu people there as well, but they're really not adequately prepared for that kind of fight. And then when Sanshiro gets in there, he wipes the floor with the dude really quickly, but that's kind of what happens in every fight. None of the fights here are really good. I had that problem a little bit with the first movie, too, where it just seems like the point of judo as it's constructed in the first movie is just to knock your opponent to the ground as soon as possible and then the fight's over. Yeah, when he fought the boxer, he knocks him to the ground once and then the boxer's done and he gets up and then falls down again. And there didn't seem to be like a, a point to that. I guess just like a propagandist thing where just Japanese martial arts are so much better. But that was every fight, though. Even the fight at the beginning is over with one flip. The fight at the end looks really cool, but as an actual fight, there's actually very little going on. It's just a lot of screaming. And I don't think there's another one outside of it. Like, a lot of them happen off screen. If Kurosawa didn't make this, I would say this fight is racist. <laughs> like, <laughs> the villain is like a caricature of Japanese culture or something. That's, if an American made it, they would be like, you can't. You can't do that. <laughs> they called that out. The crazy brother, Genzaburo, suffers seizures that make him become really violent and stuff. He's dressed like a character in a no drama. Mm -hmm. When they give him that bamboo stick, that's a symbol that's applied to, like, evil witches. Oh. There is no question about these guys when they show up. Kurosawa is never the most subtle filmmaker, and this is probably the least subtle thing I've ever seen from him. When these guys walk in with their giant they hair, were completely insane. screaming, uh, the guy walks in and punches a hole right in the wall. I'm like, yeah, what it was like it was insane. I was like, this is some of the most insane characters I've ever seen in any movie. They're completely deranged. Their brother doesn't even want revenge. Yeah. Brother comes yeah. back and his character is actually kind of a sensitive portrayal. It's weird. Yeah, it's funny that they're like, we need to avenge our brother, and our, their brother's like, please don't, don't fight them. This is stupid. <laughs> I do like what they do to the brother, though. I like that he kind of has this character change from their fight to the death in the last movie. He now realizes the error of his ways, because that character was already a little bit more westernized. We called him Japanese Charlie Chaplin. He had this kind of influence, and now this is another propaganda aspect where he's moved back to being more Japanese because he realized that that was all kind of a mistake on his part. Yeah. I thought that that was at least interesting, and they, he and Sanshiro have a very good scene, and especially when they run into Sayo, which is one of the only times we see her. Oh, yeah. We remember that they were fighting for her affection, and so now to see the both of them together where they're both kind of disgraced in her eyes... I thought that was a cool character moment, and it just made me wish that Sayo was in the movie more, because there was so much conflict between the characters. Yeah, no, that was a really nice scene. He sees her and immediately says, actually, I've changed my mind, like, cover, cover me up. But then uh, one thing I did notice about that is it almost kind of looks like a, a hearse once he moves him away, like, it becomes much more melodramatic when Higaki is completely covered. He has a flair for the dramatic, definitely. I did like the translator from the U.S. Embassy and how he was like, I wanted to call him like a, a hotep Japanese guy, but he was like <laughs> totally fancy and very into American culture. He's like so weird and just this strange eccentric fancy lad who really wanted Sinshiro to fight for the embassy. I guess, I don't know, Kurosawa would criticize him as someone who's completely given over to Western preferences, but it was very weird. Yeah, he's not meant to be a good or sympathetic character. He's very one-dimensional, like, unfortunately, a lot of the movie. It's just pretty thinly plotted, and Sanshiro's arc is so hard to understand that eventually I'm like, I'm enjoying it because I like the character and I like the world that they've created. I like that I'm seeing more of the same story and it doesn't feel different. I, I, take, I take that back. It does feel different because it's being made with so much less care and it, it doesn't feel like the same guy made both of them. I like the idea a lot. The idea of like different styles of martial arts competing, which in the first film was jujitsu and judo and this film with judo and boxing. Yeah, Rocky Four. 
that's like a very compelling idea and i think it even like fits with the theme of the first movie that they explored in the second one it just could have been done so much better it wasn't the entire movie that was the thing because they also apply it to karate a bit but it doesn't really become about the difference between judo and karate philosophy or the fact that karate is seen as like a more sloppy non-official martial art in japan it really just becomes this cliche revenge story where Sancho isn't really fighting for anybody but himself, I guess. Like, I don't really know. Yeah, the, the karate judo thing was very underdeveloped. And the perception of karate in this film was really weird. I didn't know that it was thought of that way, at least in, like, the 40s. Yeah, listen, anything that those guys were doing, I want absolutely no part of. Yeah, it was conceived as, like, this violent, but, like, maybe powerful in its violence, like, way of... The guy karate chops a tree! Yeah, the... <laughs> he he karate chops that little tree and it falls over! I'm like, he didn't even hit it that hard! I thought he missed! <laughs> it's so weird how, you know, by the time that we're born in the 90s, the image of karate is, like, totally transformed, but, yeah, it was... It was very strange in this movie. Yeah, if I had known I could cut through trees, I would have kept with karate when I was a kid. But like two days of karate I went to also might have meant more to me if I'd known <laughs> it was like this. If I had known my true potential like Sanshiro did, I could have been a himbo like him. So my theory, and it's not super well developed, essentially from like the beginning of this film, got the idea that this is basically a commercialized sequel for a mass audience. Cheap entertainment commercial sequel is the way that I could describe all the problems with this film, I think, kind of gets subsumed under that. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, when this boxer's beating up this poor kid, and Sanchiro grabs his hand, and then it cuts to Sanchiro, and everyone's like, it's Sanchiro. I imagine the effect was supposed to be audiences going like, yeah, that's Sanchiro, look at that, he's gonna beat up that American. Valorizing these stuff as cultural products. That's kind of the impression I got from the whole movie, is this was made for, like, advertising or whatever. It was a very commercial film in that way, which is very weird, unusual for Kurosawa. Again, at this point, the censors are only allowing entertainment movies or propaganda movies. Here, they try to make both. Yeah, badly. And, yeah, and it just doesn't come out that well, although... I am entertained. I, it's it's entertaining in a really weird way, but not in the way that we should be accustomed to Akira Kurosawa doing. Again, he doesn't like this movie, and when it initially came out, people said that Akira Kurosawa was full of himself because they thought it was him chasing his own success with a sequel, and he was like, actually, I would argue there's less of me in this movie than any other movie that he's made. It's actually the exact opposite. Yeah, I would, I would have to depend on that one. He, he redeems himself in the eyes of the cinema canon. But yeah, this cheap, shitty entertainment that was meant to play on maybe like what an audience wants to see, even though it's bad. And that, that was like my impression of the whole movie. And I like that was especially surprising coming from the 40s. Like now, lots of movies are kind of made that way. Not to be a cranky old man. In the 40s, just like, oh, a commercial sequel. And the audience is going to be like, ah, Sinchiro, ah, he's going to beat up those Americans. Oh, it's like the first movie with the rickshaw. All over this film was like that impression. And just people being like, oh, I remember him from the first movie. That, all of that kind of pervaded the film for me. When you're saying it feels like this entertainment film, that's unfortunately the case because it just doesn't feel like an Akira Kurosawa movie. The way it's shot doesn't feel very much in line with them. Like we said before, the editing feels a little bit more sloppy. Yeah. The only thing that really feels the same is near the end when they have that duel because I think it's visually very stark and cool. I like that they're pretty much all silhouettes, but they have this weird black outline around them that's kind of bouncing off of them. They're like the galaxy brain memes on the hilltop. It's capturing the same kind of effect, and I thought it was weird, and it kind of put me in, like, this weird hypnotic trance watching it, but again, like, 
when I think about what the actual fight was, it was nothing. It just rolled the guy down a snowy hill like I used to do when I was two, and then all of a sudden the guy's, like, crippled. The whole last fight was very weird. I did think when he rolled down the hill and jumped down there, I was like, oh, it's very Star Wars. Revenge of the Sith, Battle on Mustafar, like, combat <laughs> in this scene. George Lucas's influence is uh, Sancho Segata Part 2. If the Hidden Fortress influenced Episode 4, then this movie influenced the prequels. And the drop in quality is actually uh, the same as well. There are still good shots in here. Every once in a while, there's a moment where I was like, ah, oh, there he is. Like, that's like actually an interesting way to do something or a nice cinematic touch. My favorite shot was when Sanshiro was meeting with the priest or monk or whatever he was, and they were talking about the philosophy of judo. And we cut to this far shot of the two of them on opposite sides, bisected by a giant post in the middle of the room. I'm the sucker for limited space and for things bisecting frames. It's rarely done with something that large, and I thought that it still illustrated that even though Sanchiro has grown so much, there is still a huge divide between him and where he eventually should end up after years more of practice. Because we think about it, it has only been a few years. In the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot of time for him to make this development. Yeah, and in the words of every character, he hasn't developed at all. So I thought as a composition that said a lot and was one of the times I actually understood Sanchiro's character in this. Yeah, that was like a rare moment of the actual form reflecting the content in the movie, which like wasn't happening for the most part. Yeah, it's like, oh, did Akira Kurosawa come in for this one shot? Uh, I was actually thinking, was an assistant director doing this whole movie? How could it be so weird? It's like a reverse Uma. Yeah. <laughs> So my favorite shot, unfortunately, is not one that's quite as poetic. I just like this shot because it's funny and weird. I think it reveals something about the film itself. So it's in the first scene with the Higaki brothers who just bust into the dojo, causing problems. Everyone's mad at them. And they walk up to Sinshiro to try and intimidate him. And they're both standing right in his face. And you see that from behind Sinshiro. And then it cuts to the reverse, where it's the two brothers framing Sinshiro. And he's not looking at them. He's just looking directly in between them, up and in the distance. And he looks like... <laughs> Just like totally nuts and weird, but it was like funny. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really even know what to make of this shot, but that stood out to me as just a very weird thing to happen suddenly in the scene. But it was also cool and it made Sinchero look cool. Just not even look them in the eye, just look straightforward. That was my favorite shot. I thought it would be a lot of the film. It's hard for Sanchiro to not look cool. Yeah, that glorious himbo, which they could not stress enough in this film. Our beautiful, Our beautiful boy. boy. Yeah, that's Sanchiro's Sagata Part 2. It's a big step down. It's probably like a five out of ten movie i still get a lot of enjoyment out of it i do think there are good scenes but unfortunately really is one of kurosawa's weakest movies and i was really rooting for it i had seen this one once before and i was really excited to see it again because i wanted to just take a closer look at it and see if there was a little bit more there and i, I just felt like by the end it kind of fell apart which is unfortunate but i still do get a sort of weird enjoyment out of it in a way actually like even though this film is worse than some of his other movies, I might recommend this film first just to see a weird, strange, surreal Japanese film that is not supposed to be that way, but just is by the nature of how it was made. My only other thought on this is it mentions on the Criterion channel that this movie, like you said, was forced on him by the studio and uh, commercialism kills art. It killed this film, but at least, you know, there's something entertaining to come out of it. Luckily, we know that he'll have a good redemption arc. Yes. I wonder if you could actually take this movie and edit it into the missing parts of the first movie and just change the subtitles or something or dub it. Maybe. I think you would notice the drop in quality between the two, but <laughs> you could try. Yeah, you're probably right. Hopefully there's not a further drop in quality with Kurosawa's movie next week. The Men Who Tread on the Tiger's Tail, otherwise known as They Who Tread on the Tiger's Tail, 
movie that was released later than it was actually made, but we're gonna cover it now in the continuity of him actually creating these movies one at a time. And it's his shortest movie. It's under an hour. I actually thought this movie was the one that was under an hour, so I only gave myself an hour to watch it and then was late to something else. <laughs> as a result of this movie actually being an hour 20, but I'm excited for They Who Tread on the Tiger's Tail to be an hour long. So yeah, check in with us next week when we cover They Who Tread on the Tiger's Tail. See you then. Bye.